0: You are listening to a sermon preached at Still Bay Baptist Church in Still Bay, South Africa. For more information, please visit our website stillbaybaptist.co.za. May you be blessed in listening to God's word today. Yes, Father, we are so thankful that we can speak to the God of the universe. You are Almighty. You are all-knowing. You are everything that this world needs, Lord. We pray that you will help us to be instruments in your hand to bring people to you. and Lord, as we open your word now, we pray that you will speak to us in this very mighty way that you do change our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series through the book of Colossians now for more than a year already. Um, And So if you've missed the first part, I just need to tell you about the first part, because without the first part, you can't get the second part. The first part is this idea that the goal is to be born again. God's primary goal for you is not to be in a church. You're in a church as a result of being born again. God's primary result for you is not to study the Bible. You study the Bible because you are born again. So the radical change that must happen to be born again, that's God's work. And I remember the story of many years ago when the one pastor was busy preaching the gospel. And he was speaking about God wants to kill you and the idea of dying and being born again. And as he read it, he went quiet. And it suddenly hit his heart. And suddenly he realized, but I'm not saved. I've been a pastor so many years and I'm not saved. And he burst out in tears and the church started cheering, the pastor got saved. So, um, but that is always the danger of a Christian culture. It's always the danger that you just go through the motions and that motions can be going to church, even being involved in ministry, even studying theology, even being a pastor. There is always something over there that is either interesting or it fills my life with something. But then suddenly that day your eye is open to say, but God is real. And he's calling me to deny myself, take up my cross and following him that that's the call and so that was the the beginning of Colossians we speaks about this radical idea of born again and now he's getting getting into a, a different part of the journey he's now speaking to people who are saved but still have stuff in your life one big mistake you can make is to think that you have to change before you can be saved the second big mistake is is to think you can be saved and you don't have to change afterwards. It's not even that you have to change, it's that you get to change. You get to experience the power of God changing you to get rid of a lot of the nonsense in your life. Those things you do, those things you think, just, it's just breaking you down, it's breaking your family down, it's breaking society down, because of these actions that are not according to God's will. So he's currently we're in a very, very practical journey of, how do I change my bad behaviors? How do I change my struggles? But the one danger is that we think practical is not spiritual. There's like an, an anti-intellectual bias among some Christians. Anything that requires your mind or energy or effort can't be from God, because God is just about feelings. That's just simply not true. God changes you to change. Um, And so we're in a very practical thing. And so the understanding is that this practical journey will only work if I walk it with Jesus. I will only change if I change because of Jesus, not because of my effort. And so you don't deal with your stuff so that you can get close to Jesus. You get close to Jesus so that you can deal with your stuff. And so we're going to do a bit of an overview of this practical journey that he's speaking about. He's saying, um, we, we get to a point where we realize, you know, there's so much nonsense in my life. And it, you, you're not sometimes there immediately. If you, if you think of the story of the prodigal son, he went away. He had his desires, what he wanted from life, what he felt he was called to. He went and it went fine for a while. And then these things started taking over. And society changed. And he couldn't have, didn't have good friends because he had bad choices. And eventually he's sitting as a Jew in front of a pig. And he wished he was the pig. Because the pig had food. And he didn't. And, and that's getting to that point where he realized, you know what? In my life, the anger or the fighting or the way I speak or how I live out my sexuality, all of that is just so broken. And to be able to get to the point where you realize it, it's just so broken. And so this passage gives us the journey of change. The first thing is to follow my brokenness into my heart to figure out, but what is the cause for this? Why am I doing this? Why is it impossible for me to just say, I'm going to stop it now. I'm not going to do it anymore. And then for two days, three days, maybe a week, you're able through sheer willpower to get out of it, but then you just fall again. And you've fallen for a while, and then you go again, and you pull yourself together again. I am going to get right now, and I am going to get it right, and then you fall again. Do you see the prodigal son in this as well? He said, I need to fix this now, When he was there with the pigs. I've got my plan. I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to tell him I'm going to be a laborer in your house because then at least I'll get some work, I'll get some money, I'll have food to eat and his plan wouldn't have worked. But when he came to God, his father representing God, God said, no, my plan is different. And so this is where we were last week following this journey into the heart. What then happens is that you have to put to death the things in your heart that is the cause of your problems. Colossians tells us evil desires, filthiness, uncleanness, covetousness, um, and it all comes down to idolatry. It all comes down to I'm that pastor standing at the pulpit where I'm still God until I realize, whoa, God must be God. I can only be healed and saved if I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Him. So as you then put to death the things in your heart, if you want to have more detail, go listen to last week's sermon, then you get the power to put away all these things. Finally, you have the power to put it away forever. And sometimes that forever is a daily battle. But it, is, it can be forever. And then the journey doesn't end yeah? because we don't just want to stop doing bad things. The next thing that you must do is you must put Good things in your heart, good desires, good motivations, good um, understanding of life, good worship of God. And then from that will flow um, no, wrong button. From that will flow good things then. The button "other" doesn't work or it works too fast. Okay, now I've pressed it again. OK. So then once your heart has been changed, you are able to become someone whose life is just more in line with what God wants. And it brings the freedom and the healing and the joy and everything that God promises. Now we're in the second part of this journey today where it's about putting away the unholy things. Last week we dealt with the heart. And once you've dealt with the heart, you can start dealing with the unholy things. So you can open your Bible to Colossians three. We are going to read verse 5 to 11. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 11. Before Maureen comes to read for us, let's just pray again. Yes, Father, so often we, when we come here, we want to hide. We want to hide the things we are still struggling with. We want to hide the things that are still a battle in our lives. We want to hide where we think we are falling so far short. Lord, bring us to the point where we stop hiding and we find healing. Where We will radically change because of you. Bring us to that point where we are honest with our battles. Where we are honest about how our choices and our actions are destroying us and the people around us. And that we can get to that point where it says, Jesus, only Jesus. And so, Father, as we deal with these practical steps, help us to just always remember it's spiritual steps. It's a battle fought with you in your strength, in your power, for your glory. And, Lord, that's our desire, like this book's thesis statement, that we, are, we, live lives, we want to live lives worthy of the Lord. We want you to be pleased when you look at the way we are living. So that's our prayer, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Maureen.
1: Colossians 3, 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them But Christ is all and in all.
0: Thank you, Maureen. So last week, like I said, we dealt with this journey of finding out the cause, and a a long. I don't want to go say too much. Rather, go listen to the recording. But it's a very painful journey because you start realizing there are there are things in me that's broken. Now we live in a world that says. What you find in you is your identity. God says, what you find in you that's not according to me is your brokenness. And the good news is that you can do something about it. You don't have to accept what you find in here. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to be what I struggle with. I can, through the power of God, put it to death. And um, so that was the journey. Um, putting to death these wrong desires. Um, And what we said is that he followed a journey where he started with one example, sexual immorality, and he followed the journey, dug deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until he realized that the shocking realization that my problem is idolatry. My problem is that I actually still want to worship me. My problem is that I actually prefer to live in a life where everyone will just do please what I want them to do. Just think how fantastic that life would be. Everyone can just listen to me, figure out what I want from life, and do it. That will be a fantastic life. And there's like, oh, I want to be God. That's what I want to be. And there is only one God. And so to put to death idolatry in, in that journey, um, God comes with a gentle, powerful voice, and He says, what you find there that is a, a, that's not according to my way is brokenness. Put it to death, my child. Worshipping anything other than me always leads to brokenness. Worshipping anyone else, even if it's yourself, it always leads to brokenness. And then we get to today's passage, where he said, once I've dealt now with the heart, I can start put away, and he's again using one example. It's not the only example. If you don't struggle with anger or fighting in your life, don't think you can sleep for the rest of the thing, it's one example, but the the practicalities remain He says, verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So now, now that you've started the journey with God, now that you've started fighting the battle in your heart, now that you remember you're a new creation, so um, once you put that to death, you can put this away. Does that make sense? I can't put this to death if it's still alive in me. Um, once I'm empowered in Christ to deal with the things outside of me, then I can come and deal with the things inside me. So this list again is just an example. And with the other list, we started out and we dug deeper and deeper and deeper until we found the cause. Here he goes the other way. And he says, if I allow this in my life and I refuse to battle it, see where it will take me. And so the first one is anger. What is anger? Is anger an emotion or an action? Who said both? They deserve a chocolate. So please go buy yourself a chocolate. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's both. Because see what he's busy doing now. Last time he started outside the heart with sexual immorality and he took you into the heart. Now he's starting again on the border of the heart and the outside. Anger, and it takes you outside to show you where this can go. And anger is, um, someone said, anger is putting inner unhappiness on your face. Because you can see when someone is angry. Um, Let me ask the husbands. Do you know when your wife is angry? Does she have to say something? Does she have to... Tell you that she's angry? Or do you see it in the way she stirs her coffee? <laughs> and the same can go from wives to husbands as well. So anger is not just an emotion. It starts in the heart, but it's like this. This is not right. I am not treated like I should be treated. And so the, from that, if you let anger go, you don't deal with it there. It goes over in wrath. Wrath is anger that bursts out. It's a bubbling over of the anger. That is the shouting, because I'm angry. Or the silent treatment, because I'm angry. Nothing shouts as loud as silent treatment to express what's going on. If I let that go, it goes over into malice. What does malice mean? A strong dislike of someone with a desire to harm them. So I started angry, now I've burst out of it, and now I get to the point where I would be so happy if you can just experience pain in this moment. And if you leave that, it becomes slander. What is slander? The word here is actually blaspheme. We only only use blaspheme in reference to God, but they use it (coughs) whenever you speak badly of someone, speak in a way that is not right. So now what started as anger, what started as bursting out, now it gets put into word and I start talking about this person. I slander them either to their face or behind their backs. Um, and then the last one is obscene talk, where my sin was first limited to just this situation where I was angry and now I become a person that just talks like I shouldn't. And you see the journey of, of the things that just gets uglier and uglier and uglier. Now so often when we try to find help, we go see someone for these extremities of the problem. We go go to them and we say I have a problem with violence or I have a problem with obscene talk or I have a problem with adultery or I've got a problem with destructive behavior or I've got a problem with total despairing depression or I've got a, a problem with hatred. Then you bring this last one to the person and you say please help me with that And then sometimes they try to fix it there. They say, okay, you're angry, like I said last week. This is what you must do. Just count to ten. Does it work? You're just ten seconds more angry than you used to be. That's all that happens. It might, in the situation, put a cloth over the problem, but the problem doesn't go away. And the next time the problem comes out, it's worse and worse and worse. And so, how do you solve this problem? To try to solve it like there, it's like going into your garden and you see there are many weeds and you go cut off all the flowers from the weeds. Okay, good. This is a problem. Or we have those horrible thorns growing in our garden. Who's got them? Like they spread out with all these, the ones that you walk onto. And if we go now there and we pick every thorn from the bush and think, yo. Solve the problem. Is that going to solve the problem? Not in the big picture. What do I have to do? Cut off the leaves? We've got some good gardener experts here with us today. What do I have to do? Got to dig. I've got to dig. I've got to get to the roots. I've got to take it out by the roots. That's how you solve the problem. And so what you must realize is that in your life, the things that you struggle with is not the thing you struggle with. It's just the result of the thing you struggle with. The string you struggle with you will find inside here. Fear, um, self-idolatry, covetousness, evil desires, all those type of things. Now the wonderful news from this is again that there is help available. It would be a mean God that tells us, put it away. And he goes, ha ha, ha I know they can't. It will be a terrible God who says, put to death the self, the idolatry in you. And you go, they will never get it right. They're always going to live in this broken state. That would be a mean, ugly God. And we don't have a mean, ugly God. We have a God who brings solutions to us. Isn't it amazing? 2,000 years ago, the solutions were given already. How do I deal with my anger? How do I deal with my destructive depression? How do I deal with my sexual immorality? Those things are not my identity. They are a result of my brokenness. That's the reality. Don't listen to the world. But the freeing news is that help is available. And so now what he does in the next couple of verses, he gives more examples of things to get rid of, to put away. Do not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its creator. So there's another problem of lying. Why do people lie? They want to hide the truth. Okay, Why don't they want the truth? Because it will make them look bad. As a God I shouldn't look bad. So I'm gonna lie so that everyone can actually think I'm much better than I am. Why do other people lie? To get attention. So, um, I'm 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 nervous using examples because it might be someone here. But the, 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 the sad thing is, sometimes it starts with getting your way and it eventually controls you. You just have to lie about everything. There's no truth left. Everything you tell, you exaggerate. Everything you do is just a big fat lie. Now, is the solution to it, don't speak? Because whenever you speak, you lie. No. That's pulling off the thorns from the bush. The solution is to go figure out what's going on in my heart that makes me lie the whole time. Now again, it could be self It could be fear. I'm scared if I lie to these people, they're going to hurt me. Now what's the solution to that? They can only hurt me if God allows them. I'm in God's hands. I'm not in their hands. Um, so... What is his reason for stopping to lie? You are no longer that old man who has to lie to get his way. You are new. You've got a God who looks after you. There's nothing you can achieve and get through lying that you need that God won't give you if you ask him. Anything that you need, you will never need lying for. And we are being renewed in this image. Um, So the text says, don't tolerate this among you. Then we get to the next one, and he says, um, And here it is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And you go, Paul, what has that got to do with anything? You are just talking about lying, and now you're talking about Greeks and Jews. He's linking this to the idea of who you used to be. So much of the wrong you do is based on how you classify people. And he's got interesting classifications here. The first one there is nationality, Gentile and Jew. I can treat you worse because you're not one of my people. I don't have to give you the job, I can give that guy the job because he's one of my people and you're not one of my people. I can lie to you because you're a different race. What does it matter? I mean, those who know the Muslim world very well and their honour system and stuff, that lying isn't wrong, being caught out is wrong. If you can deceive someone and you get your way, that's good. So um, the next one is religion, circumcised and uncircumcised. The next one is culture, the barbarians and the Scythians. This is a bit more complicated. The Scythians um, in those days were not such pleasant people, but they come from a very fancy line from northern Babylonia, a very mighty, powerful people who had a very high view of themselves. So based on your culture. So I feel like I can treat you worse because you're just not as cultured as me. I can look down on you. There's all those external things. And the next one is social status. Whether you're a slave or free. Um, Why this list? Because he said, if you still live with your old man idea, that's how you'll still live. You'll still make your decisions based on these things. You'll treat people based on these things. But you are not that person anymore. And I love how he ends this, and that's how we're also going to end this today. That he says, but Christ is all and in all. What's the problem of the heart? The problem of the heart is that Christ isn't all. Now for many, He's a lot. For many, there are many areas of your life that have changed because Christ is God. But there are certain areas you're still holding back and saying, Um, No, not that one. I remember when I went to a camp between grades. Well, we were still standard seven and standard eight. No, standard five and standard six. We went to this camp where the guy explained it. He said, this is the idea that you allow Jesus into your house, your heart of your house. And you say, oh, Jesus, here's the foyer. Come look at this. Oh, Jesus, here's the kitchen. Oh, the bedroom. Close the door. Oh, no, no, don't go there. But here's the spare room. Here's the games room. Oh, no, no, close the games room. No, no, you can't go in there. And then Christ says, I'm either all or I'm nothing. There's no in-between. You can't just give 40% of you to me. It's all or nothing. That is the challenging call and that's the good call. That once Christ, that is all, is in all, in all of us, that's when the change happens. Through His power, we have the power to put to death my covetousness, my evil desires, through his power, I have the power to put away evil behaviors. Through his power, I have the power to put good things in my heart. We 're going to get to it next week: love, kindness. Through his power, I can start living the born-again life and be different. This morning, in our study in Thessalonians, we 're now into second Thessalonians. Um, What challenged me when I prepared that sermon is that Paul writes to them and he says, your faith is growing abundantly. And I wondered, how did he know? How did he know by just hearing about them or experiencing them that their faith is growing? It couldn't have been just them saying, yeah, you know, I'm closer to God. He saw it. He experienced it. And I think part of it was exactly this. They dealt with this process. They grew in holiness. They grew in love. They grew in in getting rid of the nonsense. In the first letter he wrote to them, there was a lot of stuff about sexual immorality. And not so much in the second letter. So there was a change. He didn't have to write other issues. There's always more issues. But they most probably overcame that. A big battle in their culture, and they got rid of it. They got overpowering. And so the question for us again is, where am I on this journey? Am I there where I think, ah, Jesus saved me. I've got my ticket for heaven. I can just live however I want. He still loves me. He's just going to forgive everything I do, and he's going to smile over me and sing songs over me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible calls us to live lives worthy of the Lord. The Bible calls us to live in a way that pleases God. Maybe you're there at the moment where you're experiencing the brokenness, but you don't quite yet know why. Why can't I get rid of this nonsense in my life? Why do I try so hard, but these sins remain? And for you, it's to start looking inwards and inwards and saying, but what am I allowing here that is causing that? What am I refusing to put to death here that is causing that? Maybe you're on the journey where you're dealing with this now. You are placing yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice and saying, God, no longer me. I'm no longer God. You need to be God. And now for you, it's to figure out these journeys of why do I have obscene talk and then start to realize, but it's because I have so much anger. Let's start dealing now with the anger in my life. Let's start dealing with the fear of other people. Let's start dealing with sexual immorality and all of that. By following these journeys. But the good news for everyone is. This isn't our battle. This is Christ's battle in us. He just asks us to come along. He just asks us to make ourselves available. And to obey the things he tells us to do. He gives the power. We must just use the power. Let's pray together. Lord, I remember me many years ago when a missionary spoke and they said, they were talking about people that got saved and they said, oh, I just wish they never come back to my home country. Because the Christianity that they would see there is so far removed from the Bible. And Lord, we South Africa is there. We are so thankful for those pockets where your love, your love and your truth and your word is working, but by and large it's a a mile wide and an inch deep. Lord, let it not be so of us. Let us come to your word and to hear this journey that you set before us. To deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow you. Lord, this is hard. A lot of these things we've carried with us for decades and decades. It's become part of our identity. We think this is us. Lord, thank you for your good news is that it's never part of us. Evil and ungodliness is never part of us. It's stuff that's lingering that we can get rid of. Help us to be honest, to hear your voice, your loving call to good holiness, to better ways, to a journey of healing, to a journey of joy. That's our prayer, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you were blessed in hearing God's word today. For more information or prayer, please visit our website stillbaybaptist.co.za. May you find your life in Jesus Christ and Him alone.